Amen. Years ago, like probably many of you, I read uh, Jim Collins' book, Good to Great, uh, which has since become a very significant book in terms of leadership manuals in the business world. And quite frankly, today, it's hard to find a leader in uh, the business world or in the church who hasn't read that. And the book was driven by one question. How can a good company become a great company? And Jim Collins and his researchers spent five years trying to determine by interviewing 11 different companies that had made the leap from good to great, how does a good company become a great company? And after five years, the research team concluded that there were two traits of every CEO of these 11 companies that made the leap to great companies. The first was uh, something you would expect. Uh, These leaders, whether men or women, were very driven people. Uh, They were willing to endure most anything in order to produce the results, in order to make the company successful. But the second trait caught them off guard. They were very surprised by what they found because they found that these driven leaders were also humble. They did not like drawing attention to themselves. Instead, loved to celebrate the contributions of other people. Now, that wasn't out of a sense of kind of false humility, but out of the real recognition that these leaders became better decision makers and better people with the input of others. This morning, we're going to look at the last of our core values or our family traits, and that is being a multi-generational church. And and what we need to understand is that uh, we become better decision makers and better people with the input of others, specifically as we do the hard work of being a church where Our children, our grandchildren, our peers, our parents, and our grandparents all feel welcome. As we do the hard work of learning from each other, we become more well-rounded in our understanding of God. We understand more about Him and more fully how we should live in His kingdom. But what that takes is learning from the generation's older than us and younger than us. In Psalm 145, verse 4, we're told that one generation shall commend your works to another and shall declare your mighty acts. See, that's the younger generation learning from the older. Now Luke 18, beginning in verse 15. Now they were bringing even infants to him, to Jesus, that he might touch them. And when the disciples saw it, they rebuked them. But Jesus called them to him, saying, Let the children come to me, and do not hinder them, for to such belongs the kingdom of God. Truly, I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child shall not enter it. That's the older generation learning from the younger. Would you join me in prayer? Oh, Father, we need uh, to learn from others. Would you grant us the humility to do so, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. 
being a multi-generational church is the last of our core values, but it is not the least. And, and here's why. Every single generation has been given by God unique perspectives on God and how to live in God's world that the other generations need to learn from. See, that's why in God's way of doing things, we want to be together. We need to be together so that we learn from each other a, a fuller-orbed understanding of God and of how we live in the kingdom of God, in the places where God has set us. In Psalm 145, as we just saw, we, we do see the younger generation learning from the older and when you look throughout Scripture, that really is the, the natural pattern for families, for instance. In Genesis 18, God speaks of Abraham. For I have chosen him that he may command his children and his household after him to keep the way of the Lord by doing righteousness and justice. And then we see the same thing in Moses' words to all God's people. In Deuteronomy chapter 6, And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children. And then what's interesting, God not only commands us to teach our children, He commands the younger to learn from the older, but then He actually made it a part of an annual ritual of the Old Testament people of God, the Passover that we read about in Exodus 12. And when your children say to you in the midst of your celebrating the Passover once a year, uh, when your children say to you, what do you mean by this service? You shall say, it is the sacrifice of the Lord's Passover. For he passed over the houses of the people of Israel in Egypt when he struck the Egyptians but spared our houses. That really is the, the normal pattern for life, the younger generation learning from the older. And, and, and it's a really beautiful thing when you see that taking place. You know, young people, for example, who are surrounded by empathetic adults, surrounded by adults who really do kind of exude empathy and compassion for others, uh, oftentimes will learn that from them and carry that on to the next generation. Uh, one of the best examples I have ever heard of is... Uh, about a young boy named Bennett who was nine years old and his single mother, Vera, about six years ago, they were looking for a church home and they visited a, a fairly large church in the southwest and Vera had one question for the children's director. Will you take care of my special needs son? And, and this children's director answered perfectly, Absolutely. You just tell us what we need to know and what we need to do. And that then kind of cemented their relationship. Vera and her son Bennett, who was special needs and nine years old, become very active members of that church where he was well, well cared for. And if you ask Vera today, you know, what is it about that church that has become so dear to you? She will tell you, I have this scene playing in my head. And then she will tell you about the time when they had first joined the church. Bennett's just nine years old, and Vera comes out of worship. Service is over. She's going to pick up Bennett. And she arrives to his class where she sees an adult 
bent over, speaking directly into Bennett's eyes at his level, with his hand on Bennett's shoulder. And he nods and he smiles, and, and, and Vera cannot hear exactly what he is saying to her son, but her son also then nods and smiles. And then she says, now fast forward to the time now when Bennett is 15 years old and the church has asked him to help with the kindergartners, something that I never thought possible. And she said, I, I went to pick him up after worship, and there I see Bennett, who is 15, listening intently, bent over, listening intently to a seven-year-old boy who's talking to him, sharing with him something that's on his heart. And, and then I saw, she said, Bennett stick his, put his hand on this little boy's shoulder and get down and look at him in the eyes and say, I understand. I have felt the same way myself. It, it's a wonderful picture of this young man, Bennett, having learned empathy and compassion uh, from an older generation, now passing that on to the next. I mean, that's the way life is intended by God to be. We are to learn from those who are older than us. But where I want to take us now is the older generation learning from the younger Jesus is very direct about that. As we saw, he's even pretty blunt about it. When, when you really look at the words that we just read, whoever, he said, does not receive the kingdom of God like a child shall not enter it. Those are strong words, and he means them. And you cannot afford to water those words down. They are the word of God, the words of Christ himself. And see, the way our children respond to God, in other words, is the, is the way that we are to respond to God. We watch them, we learn from them, and if we don't become like them, we won't be with them in the kingdom of God. In the parallel passage to Luke in Matthew, we see Jesus tell us exactly how we are to become like our children. Unless you turn and become like children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Then he says this, whoever humbles himself like this child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. And so, simple point, but important. The younger generation is to learn from the older. The older is to learn from the younger. And really, more to the point, every generation is to learn from other generations. I said a, a moment ago that, see, see God has, has given to each generation uh, unique perspectives on, on God and who He is and how we're to live in God's world. And we need to learn from each other. Otherwise, our, our view of Christianity, our life in Christ is kind of truncated. It's, it's, it's diminished. It's smaller than it is should be or could be. It's a kind of shrunken version of Christianity unless we really do learn to learn from each other, whether older or younger. You see, the, the era that you're born in shapes you more than you understand. It shapes your perspective on all of life 
including your view of God and your view of the way you are to live in relationship to God. I want to give you just quick examples from a fascinating book called Generational IQ. And if you want to, if you're interested in learning how your own era shaped you, it's a tremendous book and how that affects your own view and understanding of Christianity. But what I want to do is walk through very quickly four different generations and give you a sense of how the era in which you were born affects the way you understand God and the way you are to live in relationship with God. Now, let's start with the oldest group, the traditionalists, born before 1945. These are not my titles or names for these groups. These come from the book. So, the traditionalists, born before 1945. Think of the great events in the era in which these great folks were born. You've got the Great Depression. You've got World War II. And and from the Great Depression, traditionalists learned to be savers. They really did not know if they would have enough the next day or the next week or the next month. And so they became great savers. And they went through World War II, and so they learned sacrifice for the sake of others. And traditionalists then approach money differently than many other generations do. They are famous savers, and they are great givers. You know, when this generation hears about a need, they're the first to pull out their checkbooks and to write a check. And because traditionalists still embrace self-sacrifice, they're more willing to do without in order to support others than the other generations typically are. So that's the, the, the first, the traditionalist, born before 1945. Now let's move on to the next generation, the baby boomers, born between 1946 and 1964. Here's my group. You have a very different kind of situation into which they're born. There, there really isn't a Great Depression. So there isn't the struggle for survival, and there really isn't the kind of experience of war that the traditionalists had. And so what you have then is a generation growing up not having to figure out how to survive life. And so no longer worried about survival. One of the things that baby boomers changed uh, about the experience of Christianity is the kind of shift from sacrifice for the group to a focus on the individual in some very, very positive ways. Certainly there are negative things about each generation. But one of the very positive things that came out of the baby boomers' approach to relationship with God is that they really did begin to recognize in a probably fuller level than the previous generation how personal God is with us how involved in every single detail of our lives he is. Concerned not just about the great things, the big things, but everything. And one of the things that baby boomers absolutely love about Jesus is that he called his disciples friends, as we see in John 15. So you've got the traditionalists, and then the baby boomers. After that, you've got what are called the generation Xers. 
Now, they're kind of squished, as people would say, because they're a smaller group than the groups that have come before and the group uh, that comes after. These are the folks born between 1965 and 1980. And what you're going to see the Generation Xers do in terms of their relationship with Christ is move the focus from individual to community for lots of reasons. Baby boomers were such a large generation, and they had such high expectations. They were the ones that were told you can do anything that you set your mind to, that they were always competing. I mean, if you're a baby boomer, you know this. Whether it's for school desks or grades or college entrance or jobs, we were always competing with each other. Generation Xers, though, were a much smaller group, and, and they went through the highest rate of divorce, whether in their families or in their friends, that any generation had. And, and so what happens for them is they're not interested in competing, but in finding some kind of connection with each other. They're more interested in community. They saw each other as companions, not competitors. Interestingly, the first generation to be criticized for always being on their phones used those phones to try to create community. So you've got the traditionalists, uh, you've got the boomers, you've got the Gen Xers, Gen Xers. And then I'm going to talk just about the millennials to finish with, though there are younger folks than the millennials, of course. But the millennials were born between 1981 and 2001. Now, they also wanted community but it had to be authentic community. See, the, these are the folks that grew up with cheating television evangelists. They grew up with people like Britney Spears and Miley Cyrus who shedded their Baptist faith. They grew up with CEOs going to jail. And so they, they grew up constantly having to sort between what is hype and what is authentic. And, and as a result, millennials trust people less than any generation Millennials just assume that people are flawed, which of course is true. And so they're very open with their lives and their emotions, and they look for that same emotional openness in others as a way to recognize whether or not there is pretension or hype or realness, authenticity. Now, I've just scratched the surface. I mean, just barely, but you, you get a sense of how each generation is shaped to a large degree by the era in which we are born. The, the different situations, the context of our lives makes a difference in the way we view everything, including the way we understand how we are to live with God and how we understand God himself. But you, you see, in just the very quick examples that I've given you, that these generational emphases are all important. Sacrificial giving, we're called to that in Scripture, everywhere we turn. We're to follow the example of the one who sacrificed himself fully for us. God is friend. I mean, that begins in the Old Testament with God referring to Abraham as his friend, and it continues right up through the New Testament era. 
And then community. God has created us for each other. Uh, God himself, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, has lived, has existed in community from before the beginning of time. And he made us in his image. And so we are to continue to live that community out, uh, to find it in, in rich relationship with each other. But to do that, there has to be authenticity. There, there can't be the pretension that keeps us from really getting to know each other. So you get a sense that each generation has a lot to contribute to the others. And if we don't learn from each other, then, then we are greatly diminished in the way we live with each other and with our God. We need each other. And that's why we want to be a multi-generational church. But it's not just so that we can have all ages worshiping on a Sunday morning. Quite frankly, being a multi-generational church doesn't mean a whole lot unless we are committed to the kind of humility that it takes to learn from each other. It requires humility because you know how you were when you were young. You, you've assumed that the older generations just didn't get it. And you know how we are as we get older. We assume that the way we have always done things is the right way to do things. And so it requires humility uh, to be willing to learn from each other. I've... Uh, had the delight of teaching in the seekers class uh, before. And um, one of the things they have said to me on more than one occasion is that, you know, I, I know the church uses the word community a lot, but we like the word family. And that really is the, the biblical term for what we're trying to sort out here. The church is a family. We think of God as our father and, and Christ as our brother. And I would say that I have learned to walk with Christ much more richly because of my own family, watching my parents and our children. You know, I've learned from our daughter who has thought so much more intentionally about ministry to the poor. I've learned from her what it is to think carefully and, and with great compassion about how to take care of those who are under-resourced, who do not have what we have. And I've learned from my mother, who is in her last stages of Alzheimer's, that God really is our refuge. Uh, my mother uh, rarely knows anybody that she's with anymore, including my father. And she rarely knows where she is. And so because of that, several times during the day, she will become almost panicked. She'll be afraid. She doesn't know what's going on around her. And almost every single time, when she gets panicked, she gathers everyone who is around her, whether she knows them or not, and she says, let's pray. She just turns to God, as she always has. And I've learned from my father what it means to be a husband who honors his marriage vows, who 
loves my mom and takes care of her 24-7, whether she knows him or not. What kind of person would I be if I didn't learn from my family, my parents and my children? What kind of a church would we be if we didn't learn from the generations, both older and younger than we are? It does take humility. It requires understanding that we don't get it all, that we don't understand everything about God and the ways we are to live before Him. But what kind of disciples would we be if we didn't follow the example of our Lord who humbled Himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross? It took that death to make us a family. And now let's live like we know who we are. We are the family of God. We learn from each other how to become like our Father who is in heaven. Would you join me in prayer? Oh, Father, we are so caught up in what we think is right and and so unwilling at times to learn from each other. Forgive us for that and help us to humble ourselves like these children who turn to you and trust in you. May we take that humility as we live with each other and learn from each other. Father, thank you that you have placed us in a family where we can grow and become more like you. We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. Let's stand and let's respond to our great God who has put us in family.